Welcome to the KISS FAQ Song Story Series. In this series, we'll focus on the history of some of KISS's best and least known songs. In this episode, what might be considered one of KISS's deep cuts, the initially non-album single Kissin' Time, which was released in May 1974, backed with nothing to lose. There's certainly a bit of dark humor in what the kissing and smooching on side A of that single would have led to on the dark side of the 45, but that's one back door we're just not going to open yet. At the time, Kiss had been scheduled to be on the road opening for the British band Argent. However, the start of the tour had been delayed and as a result, the band had a gap to fill. The first of those dates, remaining scheduled after Argent withdrew, was supposed to be a pair of KISS shows at the Victory Theatre in Toronto on April the 26th. Seeing the show would have been part of the grand prize for the WSHE Radio Kissathon contest being hosted at the Button Bar in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. At the time, Casablanca, or at least the label's hierarchy, was oblivious to the regional event. They had nothing to do with it, other than it being co-promoted by the regional office of their then-distributor, Warner Brother Records. It had been the idea of Eddie Pugh and Eddie Gilreath. The WSHE contest commenced on April the 20th, couples competing, hoping to beat the then-world record of 42 hours of continuous kissing. By the time it ended, Vinnie Toro and Louise Heath had outkissed 40 other couples with a time of 96 hours and 32 minutes. The contest generated healthy press across the nation as a convenient space filler in many newspapers. The words press coverage should jump out, and certainly did when Casablanca Records got wind of the promotion. Neil Bogart, not surprisingly, loved it, and immediately wanted to scale it up and take it nationwide. For him, anything worth doing was also definitely worth overdoing. The recording of this single was very much tied in with that kissing contest. Scott Shannon, a Nashville DJ, recommended to the label that KISS re-record Bobby Rydell's hit. According to Scott, in an interview with Ken Sharp for the Nothing to Lose book, he felt the novelty could be more accessible for programmers, though the end result wasn't quite what he was expecting. Neil Bogart knew all about novelty records, having recorded a few himself. It's the chantilly, silly sort of daffy as a dilly little fussy little frilly little one piece bathing suit. <laughs> Sitting there beneath the beach umbrella, so sweet and shy. And anyway, the label had already released Kiss's first single and knew that getting radio airplay of any sort for them was going to be tough, and for a new band at that. Perhaps they needed an additional gimmick. It was almost too perfect an opportunity. Kiss, kissin', kissathon, kissin' time. Gene recalled the time in general in Kiss and Make Up. The first album was selling okay, 50 to 60,000 copies, thanks mostly to our touring. But Neil Bogart wanted to sell more, and he always had ideas for how to do it. One of his earliest ideas was for a kissing contest. This was an old radio and DJ gimmick, to sponsor a kissing contest and have a bunch of young couples come out to a mall or car dealership. They were marathons. The couples would kiss as long as they possibly could, with only five-minute breaks every hour. The way Neil saw it 
we were perfectly positioned to capitalize on this phenomenon because of our name. Paul was a bit more analytic about the whole situation, looking back on it in 2014 in his Face the Music book. Neil, on the other hand, approached things from an entirely different philosophy learned during his Buddha days and seemed to find nothing wrong with jeopardizing an act's potential career longevity for the chance of a hit single today, no matter how trite or substandard. He got us into a recording studio in early spring 1974 to do a cover of an old Bobby Rydell song called Kissin' Time. He told us it was promotional music for a kissing contest, an idea that was contrary to everything I envisioned for the band. I thought it was tacky. The bands I looked up to wouldn't do something like that, but Neil assured us our recording would be used for background music and a radio spot for the contest, nothing more. Of course, no sooner had we cut the not particularly great rendition of the song than Neil issued it as a single. He had a unique way of dealing with things sometimes. As should be clear, Kiss hated the idea. But Neil was adamant, and Kiss were young. As recounted in Larry Harris's And Party Every Day, written with Kurt Gooch and Jeff Seuss, Neil told Kiss, either you record the song, or we'll pull our support for you. It really was a situation that they couldn't refuse. Co-producer Kenny Kerner later told Dale Sherman, Neil Bogart, having had incredible success with Bubblegum Records' one-hit wonders all his life, knew instinctively that he could always fall back on that formula for any artist. So when it became apparent that the Kiss record was not burning up the radio charts, mainly because of the gimmick of the makeup, a lot of them were offended by it. A lot of them didn't even play it because they couldn't get past the cover. So he wanted to find a gimmick that would better get the band national attention and radio play at the same time. And what better gimmick than a band called KISS to cover Bobby Rydell's Kissin' Time? Well, they were furious. We absolutely refused to do it and the band refused to do it. Here was Neil again, relying on the only thing he knew how to do, which was put a gimmick on top of a gimmick to sell records. He basically forced everybody into doing it. To be fair, Neil Bogart was the boss, had taken a risk on signing KISS in the first place, and certainly had a history of success with some pretty crazy ideas. Neil had grand ideas for a great kiss-off. Contests would be held in 13 major markets hosted by the respective main Top 40 radio stations starting on May the 11th. The winners of those regional contests would be flown to Chicago for a world kiss-off. Starting on May the 25th, they'd be competing for an eight-day cruise to Acapulco following seeing Kiss in concert at their May the 31st show in Long Beach. Kiss was dispatched to Bell Sound Studios to record. On April the 26th and 27th, 1974, with Kenny Kerner and Richie Wise again producing, they hit the studio for a 12-hour session. Things were kept pretty basic, and two 100-watt Marshall and one 200-watt Marshall major amplifiers were rented from SIR for the session. Again, Kenny Kerner paints a picture about the song coming together in the studio. So we went into the studio to cut a brand new version of Kissin' Time. The only problem was that we couldn't use the lyrics that Bobby Rydell sang. They were really stupid and completely outdated. This is amazing. We sat in the studio and behind the board was me and Richie, the engineer, the manager, and Sean Delaney. And on the other side, in front of the board, were the four guys and Kiss. And we sat there. We all had pads and pencils and we just went around the board. And we went, well, all right, they're kissing in. And someone would go, Detroit. And we'd go, all right, they're kissing in Detroit. And that's how it went. We rewrote the song in like 20 minutes, we changed it to some rock and roll cities and shit like that, and went in and cut it. 
and that came out on the second pressing of the same first album. Also incorporated into the song's lyrics were a play on the words Sean Delaney had purportedly first ad-libbed at the Academy of Music show. Those words became the band's first real stage introduction. Put your two lips together and kiss. Somewhat interestingly, the original Bobby Rydell version included mentions of Cleveland and Wildwood, both later locations of the recording of the Alive album. Here's a little bit of Bobby's original version, just so you can get a taste for how it would not have aged well in the early 1970s glitter movement. Gene described the song in its re-recording in Kiss and Make Up. He suggested that we re-record that old Bobby Rydell song and used to promote a series of contests around the country. It wasn't a song we would have chosen, but Neil was insistent. He was a real promoter, and he believed it would be a successful gimmick. We finally agreed, but only on condition that we rewrite the lyrics. It would have been a death sentence to record the song with the lyrics from the 60s. It wasn't our style or our time. Paul and I sat down in the studio with paper and pencil and remade the song to fit our fans, mentioning the cities where we were big, the places people wanted to hear about. Then we re-recorded it. The whole process took about an hour. Well, not quite. The markets mentioned included Charlotte, San Diego, Milwaukee, Miami, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Chicago, St. Louis, Dallas, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Tennessee, Seattle, Los Angeles, Baltimore, San Francisco, and Detroit. It was another gimmick. Within a gimmick. For a gimmick. Since Larry Harris asserts that the radio stations of the time loved to play singles that mentioned their city. And what city wouldn't? But for the most part, the cities mentioned were those where the kissing contests were expected to be held, with others being utilized simply for the purpose of rhyming, or being recognized markets that had slightly stronger kiss sales at the time. Or knowing Neil is because Casablanca records were selling well. Excluded were Houston, Nashville specifically, and amazingly, the band's home city of New York, and a couple of others. Amusingly, the New York contest for WPIX radio was hosted at the Hotel Diplomat. There was one definite benefit to come from the promotion. It facilitated the band's second major national television appearance when they appeared on the Mike Douglas show to promote the national kissing event. Gene, then serving as the voice of the band, hilariously came off second best to comedian Toadie Fields during the filming in Philadelphia on April the 29th. The broadcast also featured an interview with the Florida contest winners and the band performing Firehouse. At that time, there would have been no time for the band to rehearse a song that they'd only just written and recorded and didn't like in the first place. But it is somewhat odd that Firehouse was never issued as a single. Here's a little bit from Mike Douglas. You can see more of that legendary appearance on the Kissology set. Louise and Vince are going to go on for the World Championship that's going to be held May 25th in Chicago. And we're, we'd like to get Howard Cosell to do the blow-by-blow descriptions. 
<laughs> so keep watching. Is, is, is he your man? Oh, we'd love to get him. What was the prize? Yes. The prize. The prize was a trip to Toronto to see Kiss in concert, but unfortunately the concert that, canceled yeah. out. Unfortunately, that's been canceled. But there's a there's a bigger prize. What's happening is uh, the winning couple, the world champs, will fly out to California, and from there they're going on an eight day cruise to Acapulco to recover. So. Uh, the single was rush released and eventually peaked on the Billboard Hot 100 at number 83 on June the 22nd. It really wasn't very good performance, but it was their first appearance on the singles charts. Cashbox gave the single a positive review in their June the 1st issue. The current kissing rage, a healthy trend if there ever was one, started by this powerful new entry into the rock sweepstakes has already swept the nation, as this disc has already started to do. The melody is Sweet Little Sixteen, or Surfing USA, take your pick, but the energy level is at a new high. Naturally, the lyrics are updated to capture the kissin' theme. Somewhat interestingly, Kiss and the members did not claim any credit for the lyrics on the song, attributing it to the original songwriters when it was released. Record World, another magazine, noted, The song that launched Bobby Rydell's career is back in glitter 15 years later as aided by a promo campaign that has kissing marathons making news coast to coast. You can bet this one is the group's breakthrough summer hummer. Well, not quite either. Building Cashbox is possibly the biggest contest promotion ever held by unaffiliated radio stations. Casablanca's PR machine went into overdrive, providing heavy in-store campaigns, plus the requisite posters and 250 KISS t-shirts for each participating station. Those original kiss-off posters are extremely valuable now, if you can even find a real one. One regional contest for KDWB Radio in Adena, Minnesota was ended by police due to a curfew violation. The police threatened the owner of the hosting venue, which happened to be a bowling alley, with contributing to the delinquency of a minor due to the age of the participants in the contest. Most were teens and one was a girl as young as 14. A few days later, six of the participants were charged with breaking curfew. Hopefully they didn't tell the judge to kiss off. As a promotional single, Kissin' Time was moderately successful. At the beginning of May, it was released. Nothing to Lose, a real Kiss song, was the B-side, and broke into the top hundred. Neil's master plan was for us to follow the regional kissing contests and appear with the national winners on the Mike Douglas Show. The final was held at the Woodfield Mall in Schaumburg, Illinois, with KISS making an appearance and signing records on June the 8th, when the event kicked off at noon. It was an awkward event. Paul recounted and faced the music. After the single was released and the kissing contest was rolled out on some radio stations around the country, Neil scheduled us to appear at one of the contests being held at a record store. I walked in there in full makeup, feeling very full of myself, and strolled over to a couple who had their lips locked. I bent down, we had our platform boots on, and the guy, while keeping his lips in contact with the girls, looked out of the side of his eyes and said, Who the hell are you? They were just two kids in a kissing contest. They had no idea it had anything to do with us. Never mind, I said, and made for the door as quickly as my studded heels would carry me. While they might not have known or cared who Kiss were, the promotion did have positives. A fundraiser for St. Jude's Hospital in Nashville raised about $5,300. The June the 29th issue of Record World detailed, 
KISS members were on hand at the outset of the contest and presented a check for $1,000 to the St. Jude's Children's Hospital Fund on behalf of themselves in Casablanca. The musicians then went through the shopping mall where the marathon was held and collected a further $5,000 from merchants and shoppers. Merchants also donated merchandise to be auctioned off, and the new World Football League Chicago Fire gave a check for $5 for every hour of the Kissathon. Larry Harris recounted the whole situation hilariously in his book, hands full of dollar bills being thrown into the air to kickstart people's contributions to the fundraiser. Toro and Heath emerged victorious early on the morning of June the 13th with a time of 114 hours. They opted for cash prizes instead of the cruise due to wanting to help the family of a friend who had died in a fire days earlier. This had also led to the other remaining couple dropping out of the contest when they heard that news. The runners-up were given $500 by Neil, and Toro and Heath were given the trip in addition to the cash equivalent. Gene recalled, All in all, I'd say that we went along with it reluctantly. It certainly wasn't rock and roll, and we knew that. But we managed to do a decent job recording it, trying to get as much of our personality into it as we possibly could. We also extracted a promise from Neil that the cover version of the song would never appear on any actual Kiss albums that it would be a one-shot deal to promote the contest. Of course, it didn't work out that way. The song later found its way onto some albums and re-releases. Ace felt that while the contests were generally harmless, if not stupid, the recording of the single damaged the band's reputation. As a result, Kiss in Time hasn't made it into the band set very often. In an interview with Ken Sharp for Goldmine magazine, Gene recalled performing the song at the Paramount Theater in Portland on May the 25th. An attendee also recalled it being performed in Vancouver a few days later on the 28th. But the May the 31st audio from Long Beach does not include it, suggesting that it was probably rapidly dropped or very sparsely performed during the period. Simply put, again according to Gene, the song simply didn't feel right for the band. Amazingly, the song was soundchecked in Australia in 2004, it was again sound-checked at the July the 18th, 2006 show in Nagoya, Japan. The songs don't take off. Two days later, it was performed in full at the band show in Fukuoka, with the band sharing vocals on the verses. Since then, it was only performed a single time in electric concert.